the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello and welcome once again to Reaching Your Heart in this brand new year. Pastor Michael Oxentenko's message today is entitled Alive and Alone. Now, if you'd like to listen to this message in its entirety without interruption, it's available for you at reachingyourheart.com. Due to our time constraints, we're not able to bring you the entire broadcast at this time, but you can go there. Just look for the broadcast schedule on the main page. Again, that's reachingyourheart.com. Let's get underway with today's broadcast. Here now is our pastor teacher, Michael Oxentenko, with Alive and Alone, today's Reaching Your Heart. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to go home. And there's a darkness in the world. Thick darkness that covers the people. You know, the leaders of the world don't have a clue how to fix it. Every week the news gets worse. People are dying for religious persecution in Iraq. The Bible says it will one day happen in the United States of America. So we don't live in a stable world. And we don't want to count ourselves ultimately as citizens of this world. We want to be citizens of the one that's coming. And Father, you know it's in our heart to build that church, to grow, and to see your will fulfilled in our lives. But Lord, may it be in our heart to have Jesus first and to be surrendered to him, that he would be in us the hope of glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Before there was evil... There was a time in the beginning when something was not good. You understand what I'm saying? Before there was evil, there was a small period of time in the very beginning when something wasn't good. And when something is not good, it is very possible that something evil can take its place. We worship a God who is not content to leave the emptiness of your life alone. Did you hear me? We worship a God who's not content to leave the loneliness in you alone. The emptiness that is not good is the emptiness of being alone. Alone is made of two words, all plus one. And it means all is one. Or when you are all alone, all there is is one. All plus one. It was not God's will for you to be alone. Aloneness, loneliness is not a good thing. Turn to Genesis 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for a man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. You know, I like this verse because it's a good reason I got married. Gentlemen, is this true? Yes or no? We have some lame men at Reaching Hearts today. You know, we need a generation of men around here who will answer the question with force of argument. Is it good to be alone? No. Thank the good Lord for the wife that he has led into your life. God made Eve from Adam's rib to guard his heart. You know, sometimes we get these sermons where they talk about, well, she was from a rib so he wouldn't step on her, below the head so she wouldn't be a superior. That doesn't have anything to do with it. 
He chose a rib because a rib guards the heart, guards the vital part that is inside. She was to be the guardian of his heart. A strong role, not a weak one. He was to guard the garden. She was to guard his heart. And when a wife guards her husband's heart, he finds a garden that is home. And he's not alone. So she was a protector just like he was. God said it is not good for a man or woman to be alone. This is the very first time in the Bible that the statement is made that something is not good. The God of creation calls himself an I very early on. But it is equally true that he calls himself us. Us or we. And as powerful as God is and as ancient as God is, and yet God by his very nature is not alone. God is in fellowship with God as the triune God who is one. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity, they are one. And the one that makes them up is not alone. Genesis 1.26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. I mean, here we have the language of creation and God doesn't say, I will do this. He says, let us do this. The triune God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are a family of personalities that are one, one God. When God made Adam and Eve in His image, the man who was one, and the woman who was one became one together in the image of God. And man was no longer alone. And I just want to say amen to that. I, my wife has been at the family reunion. She took an extra week with family. I'm undone till she comes home. When she gets home, life will be better for me. I don't cook that well. She's better at it than I am, I think. I taught her to cook. But she makes sure I'm fed. And then she gives me the liberty, if she can't do it, to send me out to get something to eat. It works. So loneliness, loneliness is the disease that eats at you inside until the inside is hollow and the emptiness of a lonely life overtakes the heart within. Let's face it, loneliness is an awful disease. We worship a God, friend, who seeks the soul that is alone. He is not content for you to be alone because it is not good to be alone. Uh, there are different kinds of loneliness in life. There are lonely children who seek a parent. Plenty of orphans in this world who would give anything to have a bad mom or dad just to have a mom or dad. If they don't find one, they fail to develop cognitively and morally. And sociopaths that has been shared with us by social scientists are nothing but children who haven't bonded, who have lost the capacity to experience empathy because they've been alone. There are lonely men and women who seek a life companion. There are lonely people in marriages where two people live but never really connect, so loneliness can be found in a home. There are lonely people in the church who come to church, but they don't come to God and they don't come to serve in relationship with others, and so they're lonely. A spectator is by definition a loner who looks on at a distance but never enters the game. There is loneliness that is spiritual too. This is, I think, the worst kind of loneliness. It's the feeling deep inside that God isn't there, or worse, that God doesn't care. Loneliness. If a person lives for too long with this kind of loneliness, because it's the worst kind, life itself loses its meaning. It is not good for a man or woman to be alone in the church without God. I mean, when you come here, it should be the place you find Him. But more profoundly, He finds you. 
Here is not here for no reason. It's here for a good reason. Because God seeks you in your loneliness because He cares about you. He does not want you to live an independent life without His love and power and presence in your life, friend. If a person lives for too long without God, life loses its meaning. When Jacob, you know Jacob, he was the liar, the supplanter, the one who stole the birthright from his brother. When he was overcome with his sin, he sent his family across the stream of the river Jabbok. He was fearful of his brother whose army was on the horizon. And he stayed on the other side of the stream, away from his family to plead with God. He had sinned against his brother by lying to secure the birthright. Years had passed. He had grown prosperous, but that was nagging at him. He had fled for his life in the very beginning. He'd met God in a dream as he was fleeing to that land that he'd been in for so many years. And on the way, as he was running from his brother, he met God in a dream at Bethel. And he saw a ladder that stretched from heaven to earth, and it stretched all the way down to him on the ground. And the God that was way up there spoke to him way down here. And God promised Jacob that he would be with him, and yet his life was hard and dangers were ever present to take his life away, it seemed. So on his journey home after years in exile, Jacob's fear of his brother loomed large in his heart. His sin was great. He needed resolution. His brother was a man of war. He was not a man of war. Jacob was afraid that night, afraid of the future, afraid of circumstances he couldn't control. So Jacob sent his family over the river and he stayed alone on the other side of the river. His sin loomed large inside his heart and he felt very much alone. He needed God to fix the mess he couldn't fix. Genesis thirty-two twenty-four. Then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. As you look at the context of this story, that man that Jacob met in the night was the pre-existent Christ who had created the light. He was the messenger of God's presence that had guided Abraham that was there with his father Isaac. And now in the night, he wrestles with the very overlord protector that had created the world. It was Jesus Christ. Jacob's struggle was Jacob's fight in the night with the pre-existent Christ who sought him out on the other side of the stream, who on the side where, where there are many, he was on the other side where he was all alone and he found him in his aloneness. That's the side where every person sooner or later comes to be. When you're lonely and you can't fill the void, when there's a hole in you that can't be put together, it is at that moment that God comes to you if you are open for Him. The other side of the stream, he was alone. Jacob won the fight in the night because he would not let that man at the river Jabbok go. He held on to him like Velcro. He said, I will not let you go. You know, there are men and women who give up on God so easily. They just give up. They don't fight in the night to hang on to God. They don't fight in the night to hang on to a Savior who is Jesus Christ. Finally, the man in the night touched his hip and it dislocated. It was removed from its socket. Just like that, he could have taken his life by the snap of his fingers. And so what did Jacob do? Did he quit? No, he kept on wrestling in the night. With his leg dangling, he would not let the man go that held the answer to his future. He let his sin go that night, but he did not let Christ go that night. And when the morning came, and it always does if you're fighting in the night, if you hang on to God, the morning always comes. It's not forever night. If you hang on to God, the night goes away. 
And so as the dawn was breaking, the man who was the pre-existent Christ spoke to Jacob beside the river. Genesis 32:26. Notice what the Bible says. Then he said, let me go. I mean, this is the master of the universe asking Jacob for the favor to let me go. Let me go for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Have you prayed a prayer like that to God? I will not relinquish my faith in you. Bless me. Bless my children. Bless my family. Bless my church. Bless my life. I will not let you go. I mean, this is what faith is. Faith hangs on to God in the night with the fight for life. Jacob modeled faith. He was alone. It looked like he would die alone on the other side of the stream in the night. But somehow Jacob recognized that this man in the night was the very one who blesses the life. All his life, Jacob wanted the blessing from his father. He lied to his father Isaac to get it. He claimed that he was his brother Esau. He went into the tent that night and said, I'm Esau. Now give me the birthright and the blessing. And his father said, well, you don't. The voice is like Jacob's, but the furry arm is like Esau. So he blessed him. But the blessing turned to dust as he fled in the night from his brother to save his life. It wasn't the full blessing. And now Jacob fought in the night again with the one who really gives the blessing. The pre-existent Christ. The man in the night spoke to Jacob and he asked Jacob a question that gave him a chance to reverse the course of his life. You see, his whole life course had gotten off track because he lied to get that which God would have given him if he had trusted in him. And so the question is asked by the pre-existent Christ, the man in the night. It's in Genesis 32, 27. He said to him, what is your name? He had told his father his name was Esau. And now he answers. He said, Jacob. And then verse 28. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob. Why? Jacob is a word that means deception. It's also a promise of the Proto-Yangelian. It's an echo of the Proto-Yangelian promise that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent with his heel. It's the basic root word for Jacob. He said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel for you have striven with God and with men, and you have prevailed. Friend, Jacob's life serves as an evidence that you can find God in the night. But more profoundly, God can find you in the night when you're all alone. He's the one that shows up for the fight. I mean, if you have no struggle with God in your life, you probably will never know God. But if you're struggling, that's evidence that God is there because you don't struggle with a phantom. If you're struggling with God, it means God is with you. Hang on for the fight and emerge into the morning. And the sin that plagues you, because it's sin that separates us from God, it can be surrendered in the solitude of the struggle with the one who holds the blessing for you. That night, Jacob fought with the pre-existent Christ, and Jacob won the fight for life and the fight for the blessing. You can too. Alone and alive, he won the fight on the other side of the stream. Sometimes... A person feels all alone in the church as they try to serve God with huge pressures on their shoulders. Am I right? Yeah. When there are too few hands that roll up the sleeves, the man or woman of God sometimes has to stand alone to do the work of God because there is not a broad consensus that every person is important in the plan of God. 
And so we have a few folks who carry a burden more than they should. I'll tell you one man who carried it here for many years. His name is John Butler. I'm not even going into what this man put up with to make sure we could get to the time where we could build a church. It is huge. He did not allow this church, because of weakness in the congregation, to slip aside. But you know what? It's not God's will that a, a great man or woman carry the burden alone. Moses was such a man. And under the strain of service, he felt alone. Like little children in a temper tantrum, the people of Israel were begging Moses for meat to eat in the desert. They wanted to go back to McDonald's in Egypt rather than go forward with manna and follow God. They wanted to eat meat like the kind they had in Egypt, not the food that God gave them. Now, of course, they ate the Passover lamb and this kind of thing when God had commanded them. But they said, we don't like your cooking, God. We want to go back to Egypt. Numbers 11, 13, and 14. Where am I, Moses says, to get meat to give to all this people? For they weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. That even rhymes. I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. Moses said, I am not able to carry this people alone. The burden of service is hard when you feel alone. And yet Moses was called to be the servant of God because sometimes you have to do it when unconverted men and women in the church sit in the pew and leave the work to the few. God said in the beginning that it is not good for a man to be alone. Moses was alone in service to God. It wasn't good for it to stay that way. God's solution was to take the spirit of service that resided in Moses and to place that same spirit in others so Moses could work in relationship with others who felt the same burden. Friend, God does not desire a man or woman in the church to burn themselves out because there is not collaborative energy and synergy in the church. It was not good for Moses to serve alone. I mean, this whole superhero mentality that we have of great leaders must end. We need consistent collaboration for the church to move forward in time, which means everyone needs to buy in because everyone is important. It was not good for Moses to serve alone, just like it was not good for Adam to be alone in the garden. Numbers eleven seventeen. And I will come down and talk with you there, God said. And I will take some of the Spirit which is upon you and put it on them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you that you may not bear it yourself alone. You know, there are three steps God takes to imbue men and women with the Spirit of service. You can write these down. Step number one, God comes down. What does that mean? That means He enters into a relationship with us. I mean, He doesn't want to be some distant God that doesn't care about you. In service, God comes down. God is close to you as you're interacting to make a difference for others. God's presence is the necessary ingredient for change in your life. And so service becomes a vehicle for growth and character development and for God's presence. When God is with a man or woman, that man or woman can do amazing things because God is there. Step number two, God spoke. That's what it says. He spoke. He spoke to the people through Moses. God's Word provides power for His people. When God speaks to you and God tells you what you are to do, you have all the power in the universe in His Word to accomplish what He has commanded. So God spoke to Moses and to them through Moses. And the same God that spoke the world into existence in six days, who rest on the seventh day, he spoke to the people through Him and He gave them each their work to do. The God of creation, friend, speaks to His people. When He speaks, He tells you what you are to do. 
If God is with you, and hear what I'm saying, God speaks to you. And He will not tell you to do nothing in the church. He'll tell you to get busy, roll up your sleeves, and make a difference for the sake of Christ. Step number three. God takes the Spirit and gives it to those who are set aside to serve. He said, I want to take the Spirit you, Moses. I want to spread it around. I don't want just one Spirit-filled person. I want a nation of Spirit-filled people. In a real sense, you can't have the Spirit if all you want to do is pray for the Spirit. Did you hear me? You can't have the Holy Spirit if all you want to do is pray for it. The Spirit comes to men and women who serve God, who serve in the Sabbath school, who serve Him as deacons, elders, evangelists, in a hospitality ministry, who go to the homeless, the prisons, as teachers and witnesses for Jesus Christ, who help with the infrastructure of the church, who serve Him as administrators, or just plain servants, who pitch in to get things done when they're called on by God because they hear God speaking to them. If you want the Holy Spirit, you must ask God to give you just the right place to serve Him in the church. I can guarantee you that if you think you have no place of service, you have not yet received the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 4.12, Paul tells us that the gifts of the Spirit are for ministry and for the building up of the body of Christ. You know, a minister is a worker for Jesus Christ in the church. I'm, I'm just one minister. There are many out there. I'm a minister, though, but I'll tell you what I do in the week. I put a solid week of work in for this congregation that has nothing to do with preaching. I'm not afraid to mow the lawn at the property. And that mower is fun, by the way, because it's like a go-kart. So I do it for the fun of it. But I'm not afraid to mow the lawn. And, you know, deacon work is not above the senior pastor here. You see, we're, we're together in this thing. And, you know, I, I believe men should be men of God. So there's no, God doesn't want us to be lazy men. You hear me? He wants us to be committed, engaged men who do the work of God. And women, I found, very often do the work that men should be doing. And praise God for the women of the church. Women of God are active and engaged as well. And so if you want your family to be saved, if you want the Holy Spirit to be poured out in your life, find a role. Don't wait for the nominating committee to figure it out. Seek it out. Because God speaks to you. And find that spot where it isn't getting done and put yourself there and watch God grow you for His kingdom. I'm not afraid to, to, to seek the Lord in the tasks that are difficult because it helps me to grow. If you're not working in some way in the church for Jesus Christ, friend, it's very possible that you are not walking with Jesus Christ and that you're in need of the Holy Spirit in your life. The work in the church is diverse and there are places where you can serve God here. Find one and let God pour His Spirit on you. And when you serve with others, guess what? You're no longer alone. You're not alone. You have friends. Luke 9.62, Jesus said to them, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And what that means is, God wants us with laser vision committed to His cause. No compromise in our lives. And that kind of focus will bring fulfillment and joy to you. There is joy in service. And there is synergy and energy when men and women worship God together by serving God together. That's the ultimate form of worship. I mean, when we collaborate to see someone come to Christ, to be baptized, to find the faith of Jesus, it's not just one person who did it. It's a community that did it. And the joy is shared. 
It's not good for a worker in the church to serve God alone, as I said. When a man or woman suffers, suffering brings isolation. The whole church collaborates to bring that person out of suffering. I've seen it here. I've seen people who ended up in the hospital and the church was on the move to make sure that person knew they were loved. Job 7.16, the righteous suffered. Job lost everything, his health, his family, everything. And finally he said this in Job 7.16, I loathe my life. I would not live forever. Let me alone, for my days are a breath. You know, when a person is suffering in the church, it is the first business of the church to let that person know that they are not alone. A board meeting is not more important than a hospital bed visit for a suffering saint who needs a friend. You know, certain things can wait for more important things. And I want you to know if you're in the hospital and you just don't tell anyone, it becomes very difficult to reach out. Let somebody know so we can get there and pray for you if you're in the hospital. In the book of Daniel, the prophet Daniel lived a lonely life as a eunuch in Babylon. He was forced to leave his land for another land. He was forced to become a different kind of man who could never have children in a home. And he lived his life in the courts of an evil king with all the intrigue that it brings. He was alone. Like Jacob, Daniel found himself on the bank of the waters of a river in Daniel 8 too, a canal of sorts. In Daniel, the river is an active metaphor for the people of the world in motion in the flow of time. The nations are caught in the flow of time moving toward the end of days like a rapid river going to its end. Kingdoms fall and rise on the bank of the great river in Daniel 8, 2-8. Angels direct human events from the sidelines of the bank of the river in Daniel 8 and Daniel 12. In Daniel 10.5, Daniel meets Jesus Christ as the man in linen. Like Jacob, he meets him on the bank of the river in Daniel 10.5. In Daniel 12.6 and 7, the man in linen that he meets in Daniel 10 stands over the waters of the river. He is the preexistent Lord who governs the flow of the river that moves to the end. That will conclude the first portion of Alive and Alone here on Reaching Your Heart. You can download it from reachingyourheart.com. Just look for the broadcast schedule on the main page. We'd love to have you at the worship service every Saturday at 11 o'clock at 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. That's 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. And if you forget that, it's available on the website. Thanks for listening, and as always, we pray that God is reaching your heart. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.